I have some wonderful news to share with you. I'm so excited, I can hardly control myself. It's an email. Now, you know those emails that just go straight into your spam folder and you don't ever see them? Well, it's not one of those. No, it's from none other than the FBI. Uh, At first, I thought it was to do with my naturalisation test, which I took last Wednesday and passed. (laughs) But it's even better than that. We, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, have discovered through our intelligent monitoring network that you have a transaction going on as either inheritance payment or lottery or contract payment to the tune of millions of United States dollars which have been approved but have not been settled. This is to officially inform you that we have verified your contract or lottery Repayment. We have just passed a notification to the Central Bank of Nigeria to pay you accumulated funds of US dollars 8,300,000 through Union Bank of Africa. Now, what makes this even more miraculous is I don't even remember buying a lottery ticket in Nigeria. By this method, your funds will be loaded in two batches into an ATM card and sent to you. From this card, you can withdraw a maximum of $15,000 per day from any ATM machine worldwide. So, if you would like to receive your funds in this way, please send your following information to the paying bank. Full name, full address, phone and fax number, your age, sex and current occupation. We immediately instruct you to contact Mr. So-and-so with the email contact below. (sighs) Well... Like England winning the World Cup, like the Detroit Lions winning the Super Bowl, like winning the Nigerian lottery without ever buying a ticket, usually in life, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Over the last six weeks, we've experienced the making of a superhero. King David, warrior, leader, passionate person of faith. Plucked from nowhere, small of stature, but huge of heart. Fighting a giant, short in prospects, but long in faith. Encountering a murderous king, faithful to God and forgiving his adversary. Serving his people, patient in waiting and trusting God's plan. Bringing God into the centre of national life, poor in decorum but rich in passion. Wanting a temple, not quite understanding God's will, but overflowing in his zeal for God's glory. What a good man. What a godly man. What a holy man. But just when we want to crown David king, not just of Israel, but of the universe, 
When we want to name him champion, not just of God's people, but of all people for all time. When we want to place him in the holy of holies of God's hall of faith. My Nigerian email pokes its head out of my inbox and reminds us, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. What a good man. What a godly man. What a holy man. So much so that he deserves a vacation. After all this spiritual and political accomplishment we've read about, David has surely earned some time off to smell the roses, to stroll on the rooftop, to imbibe the sights and sounds of God's good creation. It's spring. And as today's lesson from Second Samuel says, when other kings are out at war, David is taking his ease. He sends his generals out to battle while he stays at home. Turns out your grandmother was right when she said that the devil makes work for idle hands. But David is a good man, a godly man. A holy man. I don't know what is more shocking in this episode from David's story. The speed he descends this spiral of depravity. That one moment he is innocently walking on his roof. The next he is arranging for the death of a loyal and noble military officer. Or the fact that when we read this story it actually seems so normal, so modern, so unremarkable. As if sexual sin followed by the powerful, followed by an attempt to... To cover it up, leading to even bigger crimes, is so old news that it no longer surprises us. Perhaps what is truly shocking is that the truly shocking is no longer truly shocking. This is, story is a godsend to some preachers because there are many, many preachers who like to talk about sin usually other people's. And this is a Pandora's box of wickedness, plenty to go around for every political stripe. You know, there are some sins that liberals get angry about, and some sins that conservatives get angry about. Well, this story gets us all worked up. It's an equal opportunities offender. There's the sin preachers usually focus on. Adultery. David sins against his wife, Michael, and against himself. But this was not a consensual one afternoon stand between two equals. The power difference between the king and Bathsheba was so great as to make this a ghastly early instance of a Me Too moment. A woman who is unable to resist the will of an extremely powerful man who treated her like she was just some object for his pleasure and not a human being created in the image of God. 
Now this one act leaves Bathsheba pregnant and David has a problem. Bathsheba's husband Uriah, an officer in the army, is away at war. It will be obvious to everyone, including Uriah himself, that he is not the father of the child. So David, the good man, the godly man, the holy man, sends a messenger to the commander of his forces, Joab, instructing him to send Uriah back to Jerusalem. When he arrives, David orders Uriah to go home and spend the night with Bathsheba. That way, David hopes, her pregnancy will be attributed to Uriah's 24-hour R&R. Let me ask you, how are you feeling about David right now? Well, it gets worse. Turns out, the soldier has more integrity than his commander-in-chief. And he responds, no, your majesty, While my fellow soldiers are still fighting, I won't go home and relax. And true to his word, Uriah beds down at the entrance to the palace. The next day, David tries to persuade Uriah to go home to his wife again, but Uriah again refuses. David is feeling desperate. He invites Uriah to the palace and gets him drunk and again tries to coax him to go home and spend the night with his wife. But Uriah remains resolute and returns to the camp. So with one cover-up plan thwarted, David reaches into that box opened by Pandora, swirls his hand around and pulls out a slithering, foul, evil alternative. Now he plumbs the moral depths. He sends orders to General Joab to place Uriah at the front line of battle and then command the other troops to withdraw, leaving Uriah isolated in the face of the enemy's best fighters. Why? Well, first, because if he can't cover up the fact that he is the father of Bathsheba's child, he can at least do away with her husband. And second, because he can. And as if that wasn't despicable enough, he puts this order to Joab in writing and hands it to Uriah himself to deliver. Bathsheba's husband is literally delivering his own death sentence. Joab, of course, being a dutiful career soldier, carries out his commander-in-chief's orders, and Uriah lies dead on the battlefield. So let's add murder to the box of evil. And running through them all, his staggering, monumental narcissism, the horrific misuse of power, His belief that he could get away with this. That his power was so great, he was above the law and above God. 
So convinced was he that he was untouchable that his conscience showed not a flicker of a pulse, let alone the suspicion that he was accountable to anyone for how he behaved. We live in unnerving and rarely dull times. And one of the ways in which we are flirting with potential calamity is blurring the boundaries between the human and the artificial. Popular culture is creating for us a legion of movies, TV dramas and sci-fi series that explore what it means to be human as distinct from synthetic or animal or undead. And of course, art simply asks questions of where we are going as a human race. So our machines are becoming more human. Isn't that right, Alexa? Actually, for those of us who are brought up to always say please and thank you, uh, Alexa has us uh, twisting ourselves in knots of guilt. Uh, I find myself often saying thank you to Alexa uh, after she has obediently given me the answer to a question. Uh, And then there are cars. Uh, A few months ago, Galinda and I went to buy one. Uh, Now, I never buy a bar of chocolate on impulse. So buying a car is so stressful, I need to spend a month meditating before I go. Uh, So there's uh, deciding on the make and and the model. Then there's the the test drive and the the colour and the the optional extras and the, the financing. But on this occasion, what drove me closest to walking away from the showroom and going home for a lie down in a darkened room was the dealer who asked us probably three or four times, so what are you going to call her? (laughs) Call who? The car. You've got to give her a name. Tragically, we we are not just taking inanimate objects and treating them like they're human. We are making the opposite and devastating mistake. We take the pinnacle of God's creation and make them less than that. David took Bathsheba and made her an object for his gratification. He took Uriah and made him a sacrificial pawn in his deadly game of hide and seek. And we do it too when we tolerate economic practices that use up humans and throw them away as if they were parts of a machine. When we are content to let people be treated worse than the way we would treat our animals. And when we call people monsters even when they have committed terrible crimes. So some preachers today are happy because they have the chance to talk about sin. But we aren't people like that, are we? We like to talk about grace. So what can we do this morning? Because there's none here. Not in this text. There's no vision of goodness, no work of love, no evidence of God weaving his magical master plan invisibly in the warp and weft of human affairs. We must wait for that. So maybe 
today is a day for just sitting in the bleak reality that sometimes evil appears to win. Occasionally, justice is not seen to be done. The victim does not receive restitution. The guilty do not face the consequences of their actions. The falsely accused are not vindicated. The heroes go unnoticed. The suffering live uncomforted. Perhaps all we can do today is sit in solidarity with those who suffer injustice and hold on to the hope that one day Christ will return and the kingdom of God will come. And read one verse number 30, from a psalm, number 37, verse 1. Do not fret yourself over the one who prospers, the one who succeeds in evil schemes. Refrain from anger, leave rage alone. Do not fret yourself, it leads only to evil. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. The writer of that, David, how did the man whose story we read this morning come to write that advice? We'll find out next week. (laughs) Amen.